Amen. What an amazing time of worship this morning, and I pray that we would continue to worship as we get into his word. We are in week two of our series to kick off the new year, and uh, the series is entitled Starting Off on the Right Foot, and so I pray that you have already been in prayer about not only this morning, but also the coming year. Pray about what the Lord would have you to be involved in this year, how the Lord would have you plug into the local church to be involved in that regard and to see the Lord use your talents and your abilities as we were uh, encouraged uh, greatly yesterday morning at our uh, men's prayer breakfast. Uh, what a blessing it was. Pastor Greg brought the devotion for us and just encouraged us in using our gifts and talents for the Lord. And so what a blessing that was. And I do want to say quickly uh, what a blessing it was as well to have so many uh, here yesterday morning uh, as we uh, were able to take down the Christmas decorations and all of that. Um, and the same thing is true when, when you do this at your home. I don't know if you ever experienced this. Um, you put up all your decorations and you're like, ooh, it's kind of cluttered, you know, with all the stuff. And then you take it all down and you're like, wow, look at all the space. And so yesterday I stood back and I was like, wow, that's a big stage when there's no trees all over it. So, uh, but it was a great blessing to see so many come out. Um, we were done, I think, when I looked at my watch and we were actually done, done, uh, it was probably 11.15, something like that. Um, so it went really, really fast and so greatly appreciate that. Uh, also, just a side note, um, I misspoke a few moments ago when I talked about the cards to kids. Uh, I thought they received the cards on Wednesday night. Uh, my wife so graciously uh, rebuked me on that when I sat down over there. Um, I'm just kidding. She rebukes. She never rebukes anybody. Oh. But she did let me know that um, actually it's this Wednesday. I thought they were going to get them this last Wednesday. They're getting them this coming Wednesday. So they'll get those cards to be able to hand out. So any of our Word of Life parents or Girlfriend's parents were like, cards, cards? Did you get a card? I didn't get a card. Did you see a card? Um, don't be too surprised. Elementary kids don't always relay information from a teacher, believe it or not. So they don't always communicate that to you. I know it's hard to believe, but it's happened. So, uh, But we are excited for all the Lord has coming up this month as well as this year ahead. And, and we said it last week, and I truly believe um, God has has some amazing things in store for this church. And it has nothing to do with me directly, nothing to do with our praise team, nothing to do with our programs or our ministries. It has everything to do with this being his church. And he said he will build his church. And so as long as we keep the word of God, the central focus of our gatherings, uh, he is going to do what he said he's going to do. And so I'm just so excited that you're here to be a part of it. Uh, we began last week in our series, Discovering that when Solomon was presented with an opportunity to ask anything of God that he wanted, he chose to ask for wisdom. And we talked about this, that Solomon at the beginning of his reign as king was asked by God, what, what do you want? And Solomon looked at the weight of the job that he was being brought into, the weight of the calling that was before him, and he asked for wisdom. Specifically, he asked for the ability to make judgments and in leading the people of God, to make judgments, to discern this from that, right from wrong. Sometimes in our lives, discernment isn't right from wrong. It's wise to unwise, right? It's not so much, is this right or wrong? Because those are usually pretty easy choices. Now, we don't always make the right choice, even though the wrong choice is pretty obvious. But really what we should think about when it comes to discernment is not just right or wrong, although that's part of the picture. It should also be what's wise and unwise. The right thing at the wrong time could be unwise, for example, saying something to somebody at the, the right thing at the wrong time might actually not be an encouragement, but it might actually be a discouragement. And I've always used the illustration of when somebody goes home to be with the Lord and you're at a, 
a funeral service or a viewing and you're standing near the casket and somebody comes up and the Lord has impressed on your heart, Romans 8, for all things work together for good. Now that's a true statement. It's a right statement. But it may not be wise to go to that scripture in that moment as you're talking to somebody who just lost a loved one. Sometimes the wise thing may be to do what Job's friends did in the beginning. I'm just praying for you. I'm just here. I'm just present. I'm not going to tell you what you should do. I'm not going to give you counsel or advice right now. I'm just going to be here. Again, it's the right thing. All things do work together for good. Praise God that they do because he is a God that is orchestrating a beautiful plan. But the wise thing to do at times might be to hold back or refrain from saying that and instead just be there. Just be a voice of prayer, a voice of encouragement. So again, we need to pray for discernment and wisdom, not just in what's right and wrong, although important, but also what's wise and unwise. And so Solomon looked at the job ahead, looked at the calling and said, I cannot do this. He actually says, how could I lead so great a people? I know my limitations. I know my weaknesses. I know my inabilities. I can't do this thing you've called me to. And in response to him realizing his inability, he cried out for God's wisdom, for God's direction and God's calling. I believe I put this in your notes. And if you're following along, you can go on our app and you can find the sermon notes on there. If you go into media, sermon notes, you'll find today's notes. And I believe I put this in the notes that you have. Because this, this kind of came to me when I was writing the message down. It's something that the Lord kind of laid on my heart that, that I pray we realize that the calling that God has on our lives for 2023 is equally over our heads naturally as Solomon's call to lead the nation of Israel was naturally over his head. I pray that we would realize that the calling that God has on our lives for 2023 is equally over our heads naturally and we desperately need his wisdom and instruction. That God has called you to something this year and it's the same thing he's been calling you to last year and the year before that and the year before that. It's been the call of the church and the follower of Christ since the beginning of the church. And what is that calling? To share Christ, to make disciples and to serve others in love and grace while speaking God's word. Now, I can just tell you, me, I can't do that naturally. I can't share Christ, disciple others, serve others in love, speak the word of God to others in truth and love. I can't do that if it's just me doing that. I need his wisdom, his discernment. I need his grace to come upon me, to remind me of who I am and who he is. But I'm so thankful that even though we live in a culture and in a world that does not want God's word, that does not agree with the things of God, that naturally fights against the things of God, we in Christ have been given the spirit of God through salvation. And that spirit comes into our lives, indwells us, takes up residence in our lives at the moment of salvation and brings wisdom, brings guidance. Didn't Jesus tell the disciples, the spirit, the comforter will come and lead you into all truth and give you discernment? That spirit is the same spirit that gives us the ability to divide the word of God, to know what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is false. We're going to get into something tonight, a little kind of mini series on Sunday night. And we're going to talk, start talking about um, the Ten Commandments of progressive Christianity. 
We're going to talk about the statements that guide what's been labeled progressive Christianity and the drifting away from the word of God as a foundation of truth. We see it in our culture. It sounds good. It might even look good. But is it truly what God's word says? See, the spirit of God gives us that discernment. This is why I'm always amazed when somebody will say to me, hey, I just came across this podcast or this sermon, uh, this, this sermon series by this guy, or I've just come across this book, or I was reading this. And what do you think about that? And they'll send me a link or they'll send me something. And, and somebody said this week, they sent me something and said, is it okay if I kind of bounce these things off of you? I was like, that's amazing. I love that because I love that our people are getting in God's word and then not just taking everything that's supposedly Christian at face value and going, yeah, this is obviously true because it says it's Christian. But they're diving into God's word and they're saying, no, 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 no. I want to know, is what this guy's saying or what this person's saying, is it really lining up with God's word? I love that. And I'm always amazed. I'll, I'll respond back with just usually my opinion. A lot of times it's just opinion-based. And sometimes it's like, you know, what they're saying isn't naturally or, I mean, intrinsically wrong per se, but, but they're kind of leaving this out a little bit, and I kind of would be a little worried about this, or, or they seem like they're taking this a little figurative and not quite as literal as I would. And I'm always amazed when the person will write back, you know, there was just something off about it. And I couldn't quite put my finger on it. What a gift of the Spirit. That he gives us wisdom and discernment. That we can discern not only when we read the Word of God and he enlightens us and illuminates our minds to understanding. But we hear someone teaching and claiming the Word of God says thus or that. And we just kind of, in our spirit, there's just this uneasiness. Like, I just don't know about that. Now, some of that might be church tradition creeping in. We've got to be careful. Some of that's just church tradition. It may be a true statement or a true thing in the Word of God, but we've just never heard it because of our background in our church denominations or whatever. And so we might dismiss something because it's not what we're used to hearing. That's different than something being taught that goes in the face of God's Word, that flies in the face of what God's Word would say. And so I'm so thankful the Spirit of God gives us that wisdom and that discernment. We already have that in Christ. And so what are we praying for when we pray for wisdom and discernment? Really what we're saying is, Lord, I want to understand more of what that looks like in my life. I want to understand more how to decide these things, how to practically live these things out. Last week, we talked about the idea as we want to use wisdom moving into 2023 and as God's calling on our life is to do these things, we need his wisdom and his guidance. We need to have an understanding and an understanding mind and a heart that would be in agreement with his heart. And so last week we talked about what does wisdom look like in our lives today? That's kind of the statement of this whole series. What does wisdom from him look like in our lives today? And we address the cultural lie that busy is better. Now, we're not going to do a whole review of last week. If you missed it, you can go online. You can look at those back on either our website or on our app. But I pray that you were able to take an in-depth look at your time this week. That was kind of one of the challenges that I laid out last week. And, and that how you and I are investing or spending our time that we've been gift with, gifted with. And an example, a practical one that I came across even this last week is uh, another person that I follow online made a statement, something similar to this. A screen time compared to time in his word as an example. Your phone, your device will tell you how much time you spent on it. Now, for some, that might be a blessing. That might be a curse. I don't know. It might be an encouragement or a discouragement. Now, I know I, I was talking to someone one time and they said, well, you know, brother, and you know you're always going to get something when they say brother, you know. Yeah, my screen time was up really, really high, you know, but just so you know, I used my phone for my Bible. 
Uh, yeah, you do. You know you can go into that, and it actually shows you which apps, by the way, are taken. Oh, well, you know, brother, we don't need to go there, you know. How's your screen time and your time in his word look? Just as an example of how we're using our time. Is it wrong to be on a device? Is it wrong to use those apps? No. Nothing wrong with that intrinsically, but we need to make sure we stay with the appropriate priorities in our time. I pray that you were able to say yes to the things that will bring peace and joy into your life. Those yeses that we must be saying yes to, like praying, reading the word, staying focused on Christ. While also saying yes to slowing down and taking time to rest. At the same time, using discernment to say no to things that while not bad, were not a wise use of your time in that moment. I also wanted to add that while busy for busy's sake, as we talked about last week, is not healthy. We do not want to be busy for busy's sake. I am not suggesting that we do not work for the kingdom. And I just want to say this because I don't want anyone to get the wrong impression that I'm somehow saying that we're just called to sit on our hands. That we are called to work for the kingdom. We are called to invest our lives. Our time should be spent serving the Lord. However, again, it's not one or the other. It's both. If we do not take time to slow down or rest, we will not be effective for him very long. We have to get that. In ministry, I've known so many pastors that have done it for so many years, and they just go, 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 to the point where many people think pastors are just 24-7 on. There's churches all across this country that expect their pastor 24-7 to be available. No excuses. Uh, Cell phones really brought a big part of this into ministry. And it's great that I can hear from people in the church when they're in need and all those kind of things. And I I always want to know what's going on that way so I can be praying. If I can be there, be there. But I, I may have shared this before. I had somebody tell me one time when they were trying to get a hold of me and I just didn't have my phone with me. This is years ago. And they were trying to get a hold of me to let me know that somebody had been in this little accident and they had been injured. They were in the hospital and they wanted me to go and see them. And it just so happened, I I think I'd forgotten my phone at home or something had happened. And I got back about 45 minutes later and I finally got the the call. And I I called the person right back and said, I'm really sorry. I didn't have my phone with me. And they said, you should always be, you better always be available for your people. And I said, well, I really apologize. I'll do my best. Thank you for that encouragement. God bless you and have a blessed day. In Jesus' name, click. I understand we should all want to be available. We should all want to be there. But listen, the reality is we should be busy for the kingdom. We should be active for the kingdom. But we aren't called to do everything. We can't. And if you don't slow down from... from Individual pastors that I've talked to that have encouraged me over the years, men that did it for 40, 50 years, that bought into that lie for the first 25 years and watched how it deteriorated their health, their relationships with their kids, their families. We have to be guarded that, yes, we're active for the kingdom. We're serving the kingdom. We're busy, in a sense, for the kingdom. All good. But if you don't slow down and take time to rest, you will not be effective for long. Because your body will just start to break down. We have to be guarded in this way. And so, again, busy is not better. This morning, we need to understand that wisdom says people matter more. People matter more. Go in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. And if you're using one of the Bibles provided in the seats there, there are some Bibles provided. If you're using one of those, 
You can turn to page 724. So if you're using a Bible provided, page 724, Luke chapter 8. And we'll start in verse 41. So Luke chapter 8 and verse 41. And behold, there came a man named uh, Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he had one, for he had only one, sorry, for he had one only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. This is, as Jesus went, the people kind of pressed in around him. And a woman having an issue of blood, 12 years, which had spent all of her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the bottom of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood uh, stanched. And Jesus, Jesus said, Who touched me? And when all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throng thee and press thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him, She declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I pray that you'd give us, as we've already discussed, your wisdom, your guidance, and your direction. Lord, I pray that you'd go before us and that we would have your wisdom and understanding your word and applying it to our lives. Father, thank you for this example we read in Scripture, and I pray that it would be an encouragement to us to keep our eyes on you. And as followers of Christ who have received your gift of salvation with the moving of the Spirit in us and through us, Lord, drawing us unto understanding, I pray that we would be willing and desiring to model our lives after you. And Father, again, thank you for all that you do and all that you're going to do. And I do pray, if there's anyone here that does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, Lord, maybe they've gone to church their whole life. They've heard the gospel countless times, but Lord, maybe they've never for themselves personally repented of their sins. That means to acknowledge that it is sin, that we've broken your law, to turn from that sin and to turn to you and receive by faith the gift of grace that you extend to those who would call upon the name of the Lord. And so if there's anyone here that has not done that, Lord, maybe they would do that today by the working of your spirit, be drawn unto repentance confess their sins, call out to you, ask you to save them, receiving the gift of salvation and eternal life, that they would be with you forever in heaven. Because, Father, the Bible says that those that die in our sins, apart from you, our destination is a place of hell. Father, again, that's not a scare tactic. That's just the reality that you communicate to us. So I pray that if there's anyone here that has not received you as their personal Lord and Savior, they would do so before they leave this place, Lord. Thank you, Father, for your grace that is extended to us and the mercy that we do not have to die in our sin, that we can have forgiveness no matter what we've done or where we've been, that you love us and your love sent your son to die for us. And may we turn from our sin and trust in you. Father, again, thank you for this morning. Give us understanding as we desire to serve you in this world in a way that honors you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this is an amazing story. 
There's so much in this story that we're obviously not going to have time to unpack all of it, but I do want to give you just some ideas and some thoughts from this text. One of the reasons I love this story so much is because it shows us the heart of Christ in ministry. See, Christ took time with this woman. Jesus was busy. Jesus was doing the Father's will. He was doing something that was good and fruitful and what he was called to do in serving creation and being a blessing to the Father and magnifying the name of the Lord. He was doing all these things. And as he's going about doing these things, he's interrupted in his schedule. His plan is interrupted in a sense that he was moving this way and everyone else, it looked like this woman stopped him from what he was doing. Now we know that God and Christ understood that this was going to happen. Jesus knew very well who, who touched him. Jesus wasn't saying, who touched me because I'm unaware. He very much knew, being God, who touched him. But he was doing this for the woman's sake. He was doing this for her benefit so that she might be recognized and her faith recognized and God glorified. And so again, I love this story because it shows us that Christ wasn't too busy in his schedule for this woman. What a blessing. What a blessing that Jesus took time And I want to encourage us this morning that as we start off 2023, we need to decide or realize that we are called to invest in others for Christ more than we are called to perform this or that task on our to-do list. That we are called to invest in others for Christ more than we are called to do this or that thing on our to-do list. Now, as I just said a few moments ago, I want to be very clear in this. While that is very true, This doesn't mean that we forget last week's message. Okay, great, preacher. I'm supposed to invest in others. That's all I'm going to do 24-7. I'm not going to sleep. I'm not going to, you know, I'm just going to quit my job and I'm just going to do this. Now, some people are called of God to be missionaries where they literally sell all they have and move overseas and do overseas missions. Some are called and stay here in the United States and work a normal job and their job is their mission field. See, we can be active in our vocation, doing the job that God has called us to, and still actively investing in those that God has placed around us. We said this before, those of you that are stay-at-home moms and, and you think, well, what can I possibly do? Who do I invest in? God has blessed you to invest in your family, your children, your community, your neighborhood, your church. God is not looking at just this person in this position, and that's the person I'll use. We're all called to invest in the lives of others. And while that is true, We cannot forget last week's message. As I said, we cannot invest in everyone every time. Now, I need to know that. I told that story a few moments ago, and I can laugh about it now, and and I have, there's no bitterness or nothing. I just found it, I find it humorous now. But at the time, if you know me, you know I'm a people pleaser. And you can talk to my wife about this. That stayed with me, not an exaggeration, for probably a good year of just the weight of feeling like a failure because I blew it. I should have been there. I should have been there. Why wasn't I there? Oh, I should have been there. Then I found out the accident that was so important was basically the person cut their hand. And they had to go to the hospital to get some stitches. But to this person, it was really important. So that's fine. But I started realizing this very thing. No one can be ever present every time for everyone apart from Christ. So as you look at this year and you say, Lord, I need to invest in others. I need to make sure that my to-do list doesn't take priority over what you're calling me to do in someone's life. I need you to understand you cannot invest in everyone every time. We are limited and can only do what we can do. 
So here, here's something I want you to understand. Do not carry the burden of always being available because it's not realistic. Do not carry that burden because you weren't meant to carry it. You do what you can do is God gives you opportunity to do it, but you do not carry the burden of always being available because it's not realistic. What can we learn from this moment in life of Christ then as we balance this out in our lives? And again, this is why discernment is so important. I'm not going to tell you invest in this many people a week, this many people a month, this many people a year. Here's how, No, no, no. I'm going to give you some practical examples from the life of Christ. And then I pray the spirit will take those things and give you discernment in your everyday life of how you can weigh your schedule, how you can look at your opportunities and then be involved where you can. Jesus demonstrated love thy neighbor perfectly. So the first thing we need to know is what can we learn from this moment in life of Christ? Jesus demonstrated love thy neighbor perfectly. Two simple things. Probably one of the simplest messages you're going to hear in a long time. Jesus loved people and Jesus served people. Now, I already gave you the two main points. So if you want to take a nap or you're still tired from the new year, I guess you can go ahead and do that. That's pretty simple stuff, right? Jesus loved people and Jesus served people. But if it's so simple... Why is it so hard for us as his body to do those two things? Because we are human and we let things get in the way. Now, again, Jesus loved people. This is an obvious point to make, but one that needs repeating. He loved people and shared that love with them. Jesus did not rebuke this woman for interrupting him as he was about the father's work. He paused and took time to recognize the miracle that had taken place. He comforts the woman. And what does he call the woman in the text? When she comes forward, I love that it says she realized she can't be hid. It's almost like people are like, Jesus. I saw she snuck me. It was her. Because you imagine, you imagine like the people are like backing away from her like, it wasn't me. I didn't. wasn't me. Right? So she comes forward and then she kind of says, and the text doesn't really, you know, expound on it, but we already read a little earlier. Why did she go to Jesus? Because she tried everything else. She went to physicians. She spent her life savings, if you will, her livelihood, everything she had on this stuff. She could not find a cure to this disease that she was living with for 12 years. And so Jesus Here's this story. He comforts her. And then what does he identify her as? He says this. He gives her the title of daughter. Do you know what's interesting? This is the only time that I could find that Jesus said this to someone and called her daughter. He doesn't call anyone else daughter that I can find. Now, we know that in Christ, we are sons and daughters of God. That's our, that's our understanding from the rest of the New Testament. But as far as a direct conversation, he doesn't call another woman daughter. This is a great moment of comfort for her. So why did Jesus do that? Because he loved her. I mean, he cared for her. Why? Because she's his creation. It's amazing to me when we finally step back and realize that Jesus loves us. Now notice when Jesus said, someone touched me, what was the disciples' response? Uh, Lord, a lot of people touching you right now. The multitude is pressing in among you. And, and it's almost like this kind of sarcastic tone. Like, I mean, I imagine, I don't know, I imagine Peter said it. <laughs> well, yeah, Jesus, lots of people touching, pushing. Come on, it's a crowd. But you know what Jesus says? He's not saying, 
someone touched me physically, he's talking about this moment of faith-filled healing touch. Someone touched me and they were healed. Now, I love this because many people were pressing upon Christ, but only one was healed. Many touched Christ's garment, but only one was healed. I love reading what early church father Augustine wrote about this. Multitudes similarly still come close to Christ in the means of grace, but all to no purpose, being only sucked into the crowd. Listen, there's many people that through the church in America today are close to Jesus, pressing upon Jesus, familiar with Jesus, in the room with Jesus, maybe even bumping into Jesus. But how many in our churches have actually been healed of Jesus from our sin disease, which we desperately need healing from through grace? How many have bumped into Jesus casually through their lives and think they're fine because I was near him, but have never actually been healed by him? I'm not talking about physical healing. I'm talking about spiritual healing. Isaiah says that by his wounds, we are healed. The greatest disease we have as humanity is the disease of sin. And I love that Augustine points that out, that many bump into this idea of grace, bump into Jesus. But if we don't receive it, if we don't acknowledge our sin and receive that gift of grace, we, we leave the company of Jesus as the rich young ruler left equal in our sin, same as we came. This faithful woman was so humble and not wanting any attention but knew Jesus could heal her. And when she was healed, Jesus spoke a word of comfort to her in love. Now, when we say this, don't think mushy love. Don't think that idea that we think, well, Jesus loves. And then we create this image of Jesus as a very effeminate type individual. Jesus loved in the truest, purest sense. You see, Jesus loved us so much that he told us, what we needed to hear, not what we wanted to hear. And that's true love. Surround yourself with people who will tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Because those people that tell you what you need to hear, although it's hard to hear in those moments, and I've received correction like that in my life, you've received correction like that from those in your life, those are the people that love us. And those people that tell you what you need to hear because it's what the Lord would have you to hear, they really love you. The critics who want to tell you what, you what they think you need to hear so that you'll be more like who they want you to be, get rid of those people as far as the influence in your life. Remove those people from your life. Have, have a relationship with them at a distance if you want to have a relationship with them. But don't go to those people that are constantly critical, constantly critiquing you, wanting to make you more into who they think you should be. Surround yourself with people who want to make you who Jesus wants you to be. We need coaches in our lives, not critics. So we know the love of Christ personally if we've received Christ as our Savior. If you are a follower of Christ, you know the love of Christ. That he died for us because he loves us, loved us, and loved the Father. A thought that came to me when I was writing this message is the love of Christ made salvation possible. And the love of Christ warns us that rejecting that gospel will lead to eternal suffering. The love of Christ made salvation possible. And the love of Christ also warns us that rejecting the gospel will lead to eternal suffering. 
Why did Jesus emphasize the need of salvation and the gospel and talk about things like hell? Not because he hated us or was vengeful towards us, because he loves us so much, he wanted us to be aware of the options. Either you die in Christ, eternal glory in heaven, die apart from Christ, eternal suffering in hell. And he loved us so much, he was willing to tell us that honestly. See, the love of Christ makes salvation possible, and the love of Christ warns us that rejecting that gospel will lead to eternal suffering. Jesus loved this woman, and he demonstrated that love before her in the words he spoke to her and how he handled the situation. And we can learn so much from this, that he paused what he was doing. Even in a busy moment with all the people, he paused and said, wait, we have to stop. Somebody was healed. I want to honor them, and God needs to be glorified, is really how I read this passage. So how are we loving people? How are we slowing down and taking opportunity or taking advantage of those opportunities? Jesus loved people and that love led to Jesus serving others or Jesus served other people. Look at verse 41 of chapter 8 again. And behold, there came a man named Jairus. And he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. This is a very important man, comes to Jesus, bows down at his feet. What does that represent? Humility. And he asks of Jesus, would you just come to my house because my daughter is really sick. Go over to Mark chapter 5. The gospel previous to Luke. So really just go backwards, one gospel. Mark chapter 5, I want to reference this because it's another uh, gospel account of this story. Look at verse 22. So Mark 5, so go backwards, one gospel, Mark 5 and verse 22. So this is Mark's account of the same story. And behold, there come one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly. What does it mean to to beseech someone? It means to beg them. He's begging Christ. My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. And Jesus went with him and much people followed him and thronged him. Now, you can go back to Luke's account in Luke chapter 8. But why did I want to go there? Because I wanted us to see the heart of the father. This father is brokenhearted. He has nowhere else to turn. He doesn't know what to do. He says, she's lying at death's door. I need you to come. I need you to lay hands on her. Because without you, there's no hope. So that's the heart of the father. He's brokenhearted. He's, he's tore up about this. He goes to Christ, the one that can do something about it. And Jesus, how does Jesus respond to this man's request? He goes with him. So why does Jesus go with him? Because serving someone is always a clear demonstration of love for the person. Serving someone is always a clear demonstration of love. Jesus was going to Jairus' home to heal his daughter. Why? Why was he going to heal this girl? Why was he going to lay hands on her and heal her? Yes, to reveal his divinity as God, to prove he was the son of God. Yes, to glorify the Father, but also, and we can't miss this, because he loved Jairus and he loved the daughter. He cared for them just as he cared for the woman that touched the hem of his garment. Why? Because he loved them as 
his creation. He loved them as image bearers of God. He loved them for who they really were. And he's going. He's following through on this. He's going to the house to heal this little girl. However, as Jesus was stopped from getting to his home, something terrible happens. See, Jesus is going, and the throng presses in, and the woman grabs the garment, and he stops everything. But in the meanwhile, look at chapter 8 of Luke and verse 49. While he yet spake, there come one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead. Can you imagine? Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. Hey, you know what? It's done. You might as well leave Jesus alone. There's no hope. So I have to ask you, just right where you are, how would you feel? Don't answer out loud, but how would you feel in this moment? Now, we know the rest of the story if you've read it, so some of you are jumping ahead, but try not to do that right now. Try to put yourself in the shoes of Jairus. How would you feel if you were him? Jesus agrees to go and heal your daughter and you are excited and you're walking through this crowd and you're pushing and you're shoving and you're trying to get through because you're looking at your watch. Now they didn't have watches, but you're looking at your watch, modern understanding, and you're trying, we got to get there, we got to get there. And then this whole scene unfolds and you just watched Jesus heal this woman who had a disease. I don't think anything's by accident. The woman had the disease for 12 years. The daughter's 12 years old. And could you imagine being Jairus? You're kind of excited, right? You're, you're thankful. You just saw Jesus do this great work. And, and you're thankful this woman was healed. And you're, you're rejoicing in that. But what are you also thinking? Lord, we got to go. It's like, we don't have time for this. Come on, Lord, we got to go. And then you start to take off for your house again. You're like, okay, okay, we're good. And then the servant comes. He says, listen, I just want you to know she's died. And you'd be heartbroken. It'd be such a wrestle. You'd be thankful that Jesus healed this woman and you're thankful for that. But you're probably thinking, Lord, why couldn't you take care of my daughter? Why couldn't you heal her? You healed her. You healed this woman. Why couldn't you be there? Lord, why did you stop? Why didn't you come? It reminds me of John chapter 11. When Lazarus' sisters are weeping and mad and upset because Jesus was late. Now that we understand maybe the heart of this man and the situation, let's finish out the text. Look at Luke chapter 8, verse 50. But when Jesus heard it, now notice the man didn't speak to Jesus. The servant spoke to Jairus, and Jesus overhears this. He answered him, fear not, believe only, and she will be made whole. And when he came to the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter and James and John, and the father and the mother of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her. But he said, weep not, she is not dead, but sleepeth. This is familiar language again to John chapter 11 with Lazarus, to the point where Jesus says, oh, he's sleeping. And they go, well, let him rest, Lord, we don't need to go. Jesus says, no, no, by sleeping, I mean he's dead. So she really is dead. What did they do when they heard this? Verse 53, and, when they la and they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. Not a good idea to laugh in Jesus' face. So they laughed at him. These are professional mourners that are brought in to mourn for the loss of someone like this, especially somebody as important as him. And what did Jesus do in verse 54? And he put them all out and took her by the hand, 
So he takes all these professional mourners and removes them. They're out. They're not, no longer in the room. And called, saying, Maid, arise. And her spirit came again, and she arose straightway, and he commanded to give her meat. Notice he doesn't say vegetables. Just throwing that out there. Did I say that? I don't know. Don't be offended. Just a joke. Um, Verse 56. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. Why? Because his time had not yet come. We understand that from other texts. You see, Jesus served people. And when you serve people, it's always a demonstration of love. But also, serving doesn't have to make sense to others. Jesus ministered to the family in their greatest moment of need. Those that laughed at Jesus due to their lack of faith did not understand what Jesus could do or have done for this family. But Jesus served anyway. The timing was not what Jairus wanted, but the events were still in Jesus' control. The timing was not what the father wanted for his daughter. But the whole time, Jesus had complete control of these events. Jesus knew what he was going to do. And so what comfort do we take from that? Well, we realize that when Jesus allows things in our lives that we don't want, we don't understand, that we don't want the timing to be what it is, we step back and we pause and we say, no, Lord, I know you love me, and I know you're bringing and doing the best for me that I might be conformed to the image of Christ, and so I trust you. Notice as well the way in which Jesus brings her back to life. He spoke kindly and lovingly to her. Made arise. J. Vernon McGee says it this way. It could be translated, little lamb, wake up. And the child arose. The method Jesus uses here in rising the dead is always the same. He calls them and they hear his voice. He called to Lazarus and he came forth. He called to this girl and she arose. We are raised from the dead in the exact same fashion. Amen. We, understanding by the work of the Spirit, our sin, our need of repentance, and we realize that through the Word of God that Jesus is calling to us. And when we respond by faith to say, yes, Lord, I hear your voice, we are given or quickened and made alive. Jesus loves and Jesus serves. And so in in closing, I want to ask this question. How is God, a couple questions actually, how is God impressing on your heart and mind to demonstrate that people matter more in 2023? And these should be in your notes, I believe. And so you should have these on the app there. How is God impressing on your heart and mind to demonstrate that people matter more this year? How can you and I model our lives after the example of Christ in loving and serving others this year? And how are you seeking the wisdom of God to do what he has called you to do this year? Because it's over our heads. It's, we can't do it. We need him and his wisdom and his comfort and his leading. But I'm so thankful we have the word of God before us that reveals to us the model in Christ that we can live in a way that would reflect that same attitude. Paul says it this way, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself. That attitude, that mind that Paul talks about means I look at the example of Christ and I humble myself. Why? Because as Jesus demonstrated when he washed the disciples' feet, if the master can serve this way, 
then you can serve one another this way. And so how is God impressing on your heart and your mind to look at people's lives, to look in the situations around you and say, how can I serve? How can I show the love of Christ? And again, I know in our church culture today, when you say that we should love one another, Jesus loved us, I know it becomes that kind of cultural progressive, that idea of just mushy kind of no conviction, no talk of sin, no talk of anything type love. I've already established that is not real love. Real love says, I'm going to serve you exactly where you are, just as you are. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to come down on you. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all need his grace. So who am I to live in judgment over you? But that does not mean we don't discern right from wrong. And it is okay. If there's a wrong thing being done, we can call attention to that. But we don't do it to condemn the individual. We do it that they might repent of their sins, turn and trust in Christ and be restored. Because Jesus loves them and Jesus serves them. He demonstrated that love in dying on the cross for our sin. And he served us because it was our greatest need. And he met that need in his sacrifice, death, burial, and resurrection. So how would God affirm these things in your heart and mind? Would you pray with me as we go to a time of invitation? Father, we thank you for your grace, love, and mercy. And we thank you for all that you're doing and have done in our midst. Father, I pray that as we go to this time of invitation to respond to you, Lord, I pray that you would... Convict where we need to be convicted. We'd encourage those that need encouragement, Lord, that are making choices to invest in others and lead and, and serve and, and show that love, Lord. I pray you'd encourage them for the things they're doing because that fruit will remain. But Lord, I also pray you'd give discernment to those that maybe like me wrestle at times with where those boundaries should be and, and time to rest and time to serve. And, and Lord, we don't want to sit on our hands. We don't want to do nothing and, and just think this life is meant to be a vacation every day. Lord, we're called to serve and to minister and to use our gifts and talents in the church, in the body of Christ, and to serve our communities. But Lord, help us to be wise, good stewards of our time. That doesn't mean just always going 24-7. It means a steward understands this is time to rest and this is time to be active. Help us to understand that. Help us to realize we need you desperately. And Father, we love you. We thank you for this time this morning. Thank you, Christ, for your love for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the way you served us and continue to serve us. You serve us right now and are ministering, Lord, which is really just another way, well, another way of saying serving, just to minister to someone. You're ministering to us because you're praying for us right now. Thank you for all that you do. And Lord Jesus, I pray that we would model our lives after you to love others and to serve others. Father, we love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we spend the time of invitation? And maybe you would come and answer those questions for yourself. How, are, how is God calling you to invest in others this year? How is God calling you to balance your time and to serve and to show love to others? Maybe you want to come and pray and prepare your heart and mind for the taking of the Lord's Supper. Whatever God is doing, would you respond as we sing?